Hello everyone and welcome to the Jim Croft Podcast. I'm buzzing with excitement to introduce today's special guest, Arvid Carl. When I set out on my podcasting adventure, I had a hunch that somewhere at the intersection between entrepreneurship and the arts, a universe of untapped knowledge awaited ready to enrich both realms. If I could synthesize the human embodiment of what a person might look like at this mysterious confluence, it would be Arvid Carl. Having secured a million dollar exit for his business with partner Daniela, Arvid pivoted towards creativity, so far releasing two best-selling books and amassing 120,000 Twitter followers along the way. Today's story, however, delves beyond the surface of the success and the metrics. In the podcast, we explore how this indie founder overcame social isolation, burnout, and workaholism to find a deeper spiritual center. On that journey, Arvid not only found his way to creativity, but pulled in his experience as an indie bootstrapper to build a bulletproof content creation system. This system has helped him not only attain extraordinary consistency, but also grow one of the most vibrant and engaged audiences on Twitter. A man of gentleness, charisma, and extraordinary willingness to give, Arvid packs today's podcast with actionable steps, practical tips, and hard-hitting life lessons. Whether a solopreneur or a creative, it's jam-packed with inspirational ideas about how to distribute your message across newsletters, podcasts, and social media. Are you ready? Then let's dive in. Arvid, how are you doing? <laughs> it's so nice being here. That's awesome. Such a pleasure to meet you. And I, I've been sort of so lucky to have met some people. I believe you're very close with KP, mm-hmm. who's introduced us. And I just want to say before we go in, thank you. I think with leadership, it's always such an extraordinary thing when you come across people who have this degree of leadership, but then are really willing to give their time to people coming through, starting out on new projects. And that really blows my mind that you, you uh-huh. live by that. Well, I, I really appreciate it. And I have to say, like, there's always, I, I don't know if I if I could even phrase it that way, but there's a, a selfishness to selflessness in, in a way, right? If, because <laughs> I, I, me spending my time with you, I, I don't just do that because I have nothing else to do. I value you and mm-hmm, your efforts mm-hmm. that you're currently like, putting into building in public. And by talking to you, I get to benefit from our relationship. And mm-hmm. over time, we can do stuff together. So there's something yeah. in this for me as well. And I think yep. the same goes for KP and everybody else yep. who's doing active work on social media. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kind of the selfless selfishness or the selfish selflessness. There's there's yep. always two sides to the story, and I I really appreciate being here. Yeah, there is, and I also think that I mean I think there's this sort of modern illusion of altruism for altruism's sake, and the thing mm-hmm. is, is I, I think we come from a certain space, and for me, it's like that link between give and get is a very it's a beautiful idea, and yeah. to take ownership of that circle. But you know, I think that a lot of people look upwards all the time. And I love the fact that you guys are really like raising your community and just seem to get so much joy out of it. Yeah. Well, th- the thing is, uh, looking upwards is boring. I, f- I think there's, there's uh, <laughs> look, I think looking around me is, is what I really enjoy in, in every single mm-hmm. way, right? When I was just a developer a couple, couple years ago, I was looking at other developers and it was interesting, but there was something to entrepreneurs and I was not an mm-hmm. entrepreneur at that time, but there were these people who kind of, they had the same mindset. They wanted to solve problems, but not just on a computer. They wanted to do it like through a business. They wanted to actually impact other people's lives. And now yeah. I see artists and I see artists wanting to solve the problem of musical expression. Like 
like the stuff that you're doing. And I feel it is so much more interesting to live my life being a person that is acting in public by interacting with other people that have other mm -hmm. things to do than I do, right? That's mm -hmm. that that gives me more meaning gives me more perspectives on stuff I, like the the reason i feel this is this is a selfish thing is because i'm going to learn something from you here today i'm not just going <laughs> to you know you're not just going to ask me questions and i'm going to teach you stuff no 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 i've got to learn something from you and everybody who's listening is going to yeah. learn something from both parties that's the benefit mm -hmm. of all this right well that's something that i love when you're talking about on your podcast because you're talking about when you're podcasting people as a form of audition for ideas and then i mm -hmm. I, i know that you have sort of a endless notion document yeah. that you you slot everything into so why don't you just uh if i could ask you about so what's your process as you dive into the world when you are you, you know how do you look how do you find stuff and in what way do you mm -hmm. process that so i'm right now i consider myself to be more of a writer than anything else right i'm mm -hmm. still entrepreneurial i'm still still a software engineer really i still run a little software as a service company but just very passively on the side most of my time goes into writing and i guess most most of writing is actually thinking and has very little to do with the, the right. act of writing. I think mm -hmm. you as a musician, you know that perfectly well, sure. right? It's like the, sure. the writing part, as important it is to, to put the notes down on paper, mm -hmm. that's not how the notes happen, right? The, the right. melodies, the harmonies, they happen through experimentation. They happen through just feeling them somewhere in your brain, right? That's mm -hmm. how that happens. Mm -hmm. And it's the same for me for writing. I spend a lot of time just talking to people about their problems, their ideas, and I find things that I find personally interesting enough to think about, to put my own spin on, to take my own expertise and experience from the past and pull that all together into what to me is now one big piece of content, if that mm -hmm. is not mm -hmm. the most boring way of describing it, but one kind of insight, right? Every week mm -hmm. I want to pr produce one big piece of insight and an interview. And that is kind of what I want to do. I have a, I want to have one big conversation and one big piece of insight. And those two are put on my podcast, into my newsletter, into my blog. Uh, what else do I have? I have a YouTube channel, I guess. Yep. I put it all on, on, on Twitter. I post the full things on Twitter because I feel the more I can spread my thoughts, the more other people get to benefit. And eventually there's some monetary compensation or whatever. But my process really is I write a lot. I write in the beginning of the week. I edit in the middle of the week. I record at the end of the week and I distribute on Friday. That's kind of my process every single week. And so this is something that really interests me, especially because you're coming from the tech sector mm -hmm. originally, and you have this spirit within you of teaching, which just, I mean, which I think seems to sort of go back and I, I believe that your partner Danielle like that she, she's you know she's a teacher mm -hmm. and yeah and but this is such a fascinating journey for me that you've come from the 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 tech world and from the coding mm -hmm. world and then you've gone into teaching and the business and then into becoming a a, a creative in your mm -hmm. right in so many ways so I know there's loads to talk about there but I just wanted <laughs> to dive a little bit deeper for a moment because a lot of my uh, audience are artists and mm -hmm. start out solopreneurs people who are just kind of trying to get get into things and one of the things that really interests me about your approach is this ritualization of mm -hmm. your creative approach and the yes. reason that I find that interesting are 
part of it is that for many of us in the you know in the creative arts we we have it, it, it's let me put it like this there's a we dis, there's this, I, i've noticed there's a distinction between let's say creating art and content creation and mm-hmm. one of the things i really notice in the content creation side and that isn't say one's better or worse by the way it's just it's just a, a, a slight difference and within content creation i've noticed that people have a, a sort of form of of ritualization about what they do which of course people do in the arts but it's it's more widescreen and it's more dipping mm-hmm. into you know trying to talk about you know Beethoven talking about the music of the spheres Lennon talked about that as well and something that and I've always kind of been like that sort of living with that slight chaos that artists have of whatever project is on i'm going after that and i'm absolutely going after it and the reason that i've come to this point in my life which is you know paradoxically and interestingly led me to build in public is that i'm trying to create order within my process mm-hmm. and and that's why I, I find this ritualization and so you said you've got a, you it all starts with writing and mm-hmm. then you're distributing from there so can you give can you just go a little bit deeper into your process in the week because you yeah, have sure. certain targets in the week that you're aiming for and it's just to go a little bit deeper into the how behind why you do that Yes. Well, before I get to this, and I will get to this, Mm. one reason why I need that structure in my life is because I guess other people would call it laziness. I just call (laughs) it being easily distracted or, you know, not not easily compliant with anything. Mm. I'm just just not a fan of structure for the sake of structure. But I found that if I want to be consistent, and that's kind of what you touched upon here, right? Like where people consistently produce something which has these cumulative effects and it's a self-sustaining things that if you only have chaos, you will never have. But if you put some consistency into your work, you could. So Mm. that consistency is something that I need to force in my own life. Because if I if I were just to say, oh, maybe I'm going to write, maybe I'm not going to, I'm not going to have a weekly readership. I'm not going to have a listenership or viewership, right? So I need that consistency. Mm-hmm. And for that consistency to appear, I built accountability systems. And that mm-hmm. accountability system mm-hmm. to me is I need something because I have a newsletter going out on Friday. That's, yeah. that's, that's how that all started for me. I, I, we built a business. We built Feedback Panel. Daniela and I. She was an online mm-hmm. teacher at the time. She's actually mm-hmm. a studied opera singer. She has a master's degree in opera. She's a musician, as you can probably mm-hmm. tell from me being <laughs> in her office at this point, because my <laughs> office is being refurbished. Like, this is not my guitar. I don't know how to play the guitar. What I do know how hey, to play look, is the accordion. Cool. <laughs> it looks really cool. Hey, I, I'm, I'm German, right? So obviously I play the accordion. And I, I just want to bring this little anecdote here. I'm just going to go all over the place. I hope you don't mind. Please I'm going to you know, I've got to, I got to interrupt you because I had this order things. There's so much I want to speak about, and then I'm like, it's like, oh man, this is flowing. Just forget the notes and roll with it. So yeah, fun. I, I I saw your notes earlier. You posted them on Twitter, and I was like, nope, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> but I I will I will give you the space to to go into your notes. But I'm just gonna throw this in here. Like I know what it what it means to to build. I, I guess expertise on an instrument musically. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's mm-hmm. something that people can relate to. Coding is the same. Writing is the same. It's a skill you learn to express yourself in a certain way, right? If you tell a machine how to solve a problem, that is a form of self-expression. If you if you write a text for people to understand, self-expression. If you create a song, if you create music, same thing. And I learned how to play the accordion as a kid. And why did I learn how to play the accordion, this best instrument of them all? Well, the reason is that I went to accordion school three, three times a week. I mm-hmm. went there. Mm-hmm. I learned to play the mm-hmm. really boring, cheap songs in the beginning. 
and I got better. I, I learned how to play with both hands, right? I learned how to mm-hmm. you, l- read music, how to play music from like just uh, to, while seeing it on the notes or whatever. It, it, it was a process. It was a process of getting better s- slowly over time. That's mm-hmm. what is leading me to become better at what I was doing because I'm not a writer. Mm-hmm. I'm not a native English speaker. I don't know how to speak English or how to write English. I didn't know when I started with this. I was just a software engineer who kind of struck it big with building a business that actually succeeded, right? That's where I was. So I decided I need something to, well, f- fill my time because we had just sold the business. And I decided mm-hmm. to write because I'd learned so much from people and I wanted to give back. So I started writing. But when I started writing, I noticed that this is fun, but if if I if I just post it whenever I feel like it, I'm gonna stop in a couple of weeks and I'm gonna go back to playing I don't know World of Warcraft or something. And I didn't want that, right? <laughs> yes. I, yeah. I felt like this is this is good. Like teaching people how to business mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that was something that for the first time gave me meaning beyond just making money. It was meaning yeah. by by putting my my thoughts, my knowledge into the world and have other people benefit from that. And I didn't want to mess it up for myself, so I put an accountability system mm-hmm. into my mm-hmm. life. That mm-hmm. was the newsletter. Because the moment the first person signed up for my newsletter, I knew that every Friday at nine in the morning, there needed to be a couple thousand words of something that Mm -hmm. taught this person and all the other people after that person something meaningful for their entrepreneurial or creator journey. So that's that's why I have the regimen. Now let's get to the regimen. If or do you <laughs> yeah. want to? Do you have something to you ask? You know in, what? In since me. since since you're going off on this jazz tangent, I'm going to go <laughs> on to the jazz tangent as well. Because, sure, let's go. Because no, <laughs> I'm really interested in the where the structure came from. So that's very interesting that there's that musical link going there. Mm-hmm. But I'm also very interested because so in in where if if the a if the accountability system came from your experiences of what you learn in coding and in business, mm-hmm. and that's on one side. And just to say, the reason I asked that question, because uh, there was, I was stuck on editing a documentary that I'd shot, which was, I'd been in 2016, and I was shooting a documentary, bootstrapping a documentary, I'd say, mm, wow. on the 2016 election with Trump, the historical election between Trump and Clinton. And when I came back, some time passed, and usually when I got a project, I'm hot, and I go in for it, and I really dive in, and I capture the momentum, but I got back, and so much happened in my life, and I was so busy that I lost the flow of it, and then other jobs, and you know, all mm-hmm. the things that happened, I started having an album came out called Love in the Face of It, and I just couldn't get to this, to this documentary, so I thought, right, I got to kind of like change, you know, my sort of my daily discipline went, started mm. going to an office every day, which was a shared office. And I tell you, I went into this office and I was like, man, most of them were coders and hackers. And they were in there and they were just, these guys and girls were just so focused in a mm-hmm. way like I'd never seen. And they used to go in there and they'd have their three screens and it would be like the <laughs> Millennium Falcon. And they'd just go in there and then that would be it. And you'd see them kind of 15 hours later yeah. and they return me my own discipline. So I'm just wondering about if you brought some of that into into your creative system if you oh, like 100%. Yes, 100%. You should you should see my office right now. There's like a big screen here, there's a big screen there. There's a screen right in front of me because I'm using a teleprompter to be able to see you when mm. I talk to you. And there's a screen below to see what my camera is seeing. It's like this is also the Millennium Falcon is, wow. is ready to launch. So this is still part of my life even as a as a writer. But you got you got to post a picture of that tomorrow. <laughs> Build in public. I can, I can take one. <laughs> yeah, sure, do. no problem. It's, it's recording in public. So yeah. I 
one thing that I that I noticed that I was particularly good at as a developer, as a software engineer, was really tunnel visioning on the solution of any particular problem. That's mm-hmm. kind of what attracts people into coding, right? You get mm-hmm. your task and you kind of hammer away at the code until it actually works, which mm-hmm. most of the time it doesn't. Then you spend like four hours looking for like a comma that you wrote in the wrong spot or something. That's that's mostly coding. Coding is just hunting for the for the weird character that got away. That's really what it is no, for, most, for, for most people. Like there are people who are above this, but they uh-huh. are rare in number and mm-hmm. they're well paid and they all work at google so mm-hmm. not most people they you know they don't they don't get this but coding coding is really like solving an issue and by by focusing as much as you can and the thing is for coding and this is maybe a mental model that can be really helpful i i you have the, the code right the code is the thing you type but what you actually have in in the code is just a reflection of the whole thing that you built up in your mind like mm-hmm. if you build a program you build the program in your mind you see like what needs to go where what data comes in where what what it needs to look like to go to the other place like you know if you have a dialogue that you have on a website or something well where do i open the dialogue what parts are in the dialogue where, what does the button say all of this is in your mind and then uh-huh. you kind of write it down for the computer to make make it actually mm-hmm. happen but you built this mental model and for this mental model of the whole program, you usually need a lot of time to assemble it in your mind, which is why all those people in most co-working spaces where people code have headphones yeah. on and just tunnel vision into the thing yeah. because they are <laughs> they are keeping the mental model alive. That's mm-hmm. what it is. They're mm-hmm. not just going from project to project. Like that, that switching cost that's kind of, what mm-hmm. is it, all tabbing between mental models, that's not happening. For most mm-hmm. people, like if that were to happen, all mental models would just fall apart. And uh-huh. I found that this this works for me as a writer too, which is why I don't just, you know, write and then record and then write some more and maybe do some other stuff. When I write, I focus on the writing, which is why mm-hmm. Monday is my writing day. It's my not do anything else day. I do some Twitter because I'm an addict, but you know, I, uh, <laughs> I, Monday is, is for writing because I start writing. I have an idea of a topic I want to write about. I'm one of these people that think as they speak as you can probably tell. And so I I start writing. I sometimes even just dictate something into my phone and get the transcript and work from there. And then an idea comes, uh, a draft happens, and then a second version happens. And then usually by the end of the day, sometimes an hour after I start, sometimes five hours after I start, Mm -hmm. you never Mm -hmm. know, I'm done with my thing. And Mm -hmm. that thing then... I mull it over over the next two days. Maybe there are a couple changes here or there, but that is the thing for the week. So I really oh, oh, focus Arvid. on making the thing. Oh, Arvid, yes. so I really want to know about what happens in the rest of the week. And I'm just interrupting there because I really want to know a little bit more about the Monday process, mm-hmm. first of all, because just to get into the detail and dive into that a little bit more, because one, so you talked about battling that sort of laziness. So you use structures mm-hmm. and systems to battle the laziness, which we yes. all have, you know? And so- once, like, what are your triggers to, so let, let's say, you know, you're an artist and you, you, something we all struggle is just to get down to it. And we've all got that potential to get into that flow once we get into it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, there's all types of mental blocks and then sometimes you get into a bad, you know, way of being where you can't get to it several days and then suddenly people can confine themselves in depression cycles or resistance cycles, which are, are really serious. So I'm just interested in, okay, you wonderfully, sort of said, yeah, well, I've got a bit of that sort of laziness stuff as well. And yet on the other side, you've got this extraordinary consistency, which is so Mm -hmm. wonderful. So you figured out in your life, the relationship between that laziness and that resistance and the act of getting down and doing and getting into it. But let's say you're waking up on the most rotten Monday morning and you're not feeling Mm -hmm. like it and you know, you've got your system there, but how do you transition 
into that space because you don't seem to ever miss a week. So, uh, but, but, but I bet you feel sometimes that resistance oh, yeah. or that old oh, laziness. Bet. And I'm just wondering about, okay, what goes on in your mind psychologically in that space? How do, do you know, what hacks or spiritual things do you dive into sure. to get you into your process? Oh, there's, there's so much that I, that I can reply here. I'm, I'm going to try and, and keep all of that in my mind and not get distracted. Yeah, um, well, let, fo- let's just follow start it, by, follow it, let it go. Yeah. I start every day by walking my dog. Like We have a puppy, mm-hmm. she's a, a year and a half. So mm-hmm. I have a routine of starting my day. You know, mm-hmm. like I feed the dog, she looks at me hungry, I feed her some more, she's less hungry, but now she wants to walk. So I grab her, <laughs> I put on a, a Star Trek podcast, and I, I just walk her around uh, the, the neighborhood. That's that's my ritual in the morning. That's what I do every morning at like 7.30 or something. The and dog that's has about And that's about peace because you start... Star Trek is something fun for you. Lovely. That's, that's right. It, I'm resetting mm. my, my professional life to mm. anything professional comes after this. Right now I'm here with my pup and with my, my Star Trek comedy podcast that i listen to it's really enjoyable it's called uh, the greatest generation and i highly recommend it for everybody uh, who yeah, my heart but- like warms just at the you and your pup and the star trek it's just yes I, just, well, and- no, but I love that because you know you've got you've had this million dollar exit and you've got this extraordinary yeah. thing and then i'm like oh man, that's so lovely yeah, but, but i need that i'm, I'm yeah, one of these people I like i th- I think my, my love languages are uh, f- physical touch and acts of service. That's that's how, how you can get to me. And the puppy love is uh, the perfect... Per- that's perfect, so nice. <laughs> well, you, you know, like I used to be a person that doesn't believe in anything kind of spiritual or esoterical. Um, Danielle fortunately showed me that it doesn't uh-huh. have to be like a woo-woo to, to be meaningful mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Like it can just be you know, accepting that I'm an emotional human being Mm -hmm. and that I have certain needs and that these needs need to be fulfilled and I can, you know, align my life to have fulfillment in these needs. And Mm -hmm. the puppy Mm -hmm. is one of these things, like whenever I want to cuddle and Danielle is not close by, (laughs) I grab the pup, big cuddle, and we both have a great time because she likes it too, which is fortunate. Like it would be very sad if she didn't like cuddles, but she's so And it's, it's the same with the walk in the morning, right? She needs to walk and I need to reset. So that's how I start my day. I have my mm-hmm. reset. I come back. Uh, the, the dog just does her own thing. Usually she jumps on the couch where she's totally not allowed to be and just uh, spends a couple hours. But I go into the office, which is the next part. I mm-hmm. go into a room that is for work which mm-hmm. is this place. I don't work mm-hmm. from the couch. I don't work from the bed. I don't mm-hmm. work from outside, even though sometimes if the weather is nice, I grab a laptop, sit outside and do some stuff. But mm-hmm. this room here where I am right now, which is hilarious because I, I guess in a couple of weeks, I'm going to move into the basement where I'm just mm-hmm. finishing my real office. But cool. the room that my computers are in is the mm-hmm. room where I work and not much else, right? Mm-hmm. This is a workspace. And that flips a switch in my mind as to you just left your personal life behind the door which right. is also a lockable door, right? And mm-hmm. then, not that anybody would come knocking. I'm the only one at home, The dog, well, the dog, but she, she, she just whines and then I do her bidding, whatever she wants. But, you know, like if there were people, they would see I'm, I'm working. I even have an on-air sign when I do mm-hmm. podcasts cool. that I have a remote and I switch it on so anybody who might be in the house sees that there's a need for me to, to mm-hmm. not have anybody trample around, but that yeah. rarely happens. What, but I have a space for this. And yeah. my mind figured out over the, the last, I guess, where I'm at, like three years of doing this now, mm-hmm. that when I come into this room, I'm, I'm a different person than the person that just walked outside. Obviously I'm not, but the persona shifts to the professional. And even if my day is kind of bad, mm-hmm. I I know that, well, I've done this, where am I at like two, episode 237? I've done this 200... <laughs> 
37 times before, I'm probably going to be able to pull another one and, mm-hmm. and do like mm-hmm. episode 238. And why that is the case, even on those bad Mondays, is that I've done something the Friday before or the Thursday before I prepared. Like I can give you an example of I, I use the time when I am I'm really good at stuff. When I feel like when I feel flow, when I feel yeah. like I could write for hours, then I tend to actually use the time and mm-hmm. do more work in anticipation of mm-hmm. that blue Monday one day that doesn't work for me. Yeah. So like there was a couple a couple weeks ago, I, I used uh, audio audio pen. That's a tool that I use. It's just kind of you talking to your phone. I, I, I'm an right? early I'm an early adopter. Big shout out to Luis Pereira. Yeah. I, I just had him on. I, I had a podcast conversation with him yesterday. I, I'm going to no have him way. on my show show very soon. We're, we're, and we, we're we talked always about bantering on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, and he's also such a great guy, such a humble person too. It's mm-hmm. crazy, but that that is that's just building public Twitter. Is is mostly humble people trying to yep. to do the best of their inability to to allow themselves to celebrate their life, right? But <laughs> that's a whole different story. But I'm, I'm using AudioPen just to quickly get a couple thoughts out and i was mm-hmm. in such a flow state that i got like five or six articles just i narrated them like 15 minutes each i just yelled into my microphone because i had just so many ideas and they were all mm-hmm. in that flow state right i was in mm-hmm. a really creative space and i mm-hmm. knew this creative space is not gonna last so might just as well take it and yeah. i yelled and yelled and yelled <laughs> and now i have content for five weeks because all of this mm. is so mm-hmm. like so far done that anything yeah. to to turn that little audio note into an article is just mm. me, you know, following my own guidance that I gave myself a yep. couple of weeks in the past. So Lovely. I use those days relentlessly mm-hmm. when I mm-hmm. feel that I have creativity coming yeah, up. Yeah. I give myself the, the the time and space to to use it, and the way I give myself the time and space is by having a completely empty calendar. Like my ca- calendar this week is like three things, one of mm-hmm. which is this conversation. Amazing. Anything around this is time for me to find, yeah, you're welcome, but I, I really want it to have it, right? So anything I want to do is on my calendar and anything I don't want to do just doesn't get on there because I need the space around these events mm-hmm. to allow myself to find the time to write. And then yeah. I write. M- most of the time, Monday is more like a, it, it's, it, sometimes I just write something completely new. But on occasion, I just take something from my backlog of, you, you said it earlier, a thousand ideas, some of which are <laughs> just a title many of which are a couple of notes that I uh, mm-hmm. scribble together and a couple dozen of which are almost ready, mm-hmm. uh, almost ready articles. I just would need to like write them out in a way, but I, I tend to write something new because there's always something going on in our community. But that's, that's how that Monday works for me every single Monday, because if it's good, it works. And if it's mm-hmm. a bad Monday, I have something prepared. And did you find just again to rewind because i'm enjoying the sort of dynamism between space and time mm-hmm. that we're having here so to go back when you sold feedback panda from my understanding even though it was going so well and fifty-five thousand dollars, i think mrr yeah, which is was, a, a, amazing a and you had this big exit but i know that you were you bootstrapped it and that you guys had done it all yourself and were just you know taking care of all the all the customers and all the rest of it and i know there was some burnout floating around Mm-hmm. from what, what, I've, what I've read. And so I'm interested like to, uh, I want to go back to the system of your week, but I just think there's so many dynamic and interesting sort of like aspects about where mm-hmm. you've got to that it, it includes the back. So it's a bit of a funny podcast because it's, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, I think we understand we're existing in this time and space continuum and what we are yeah. is forward and back Absolutely. and present. And 
you know, well, you're a Trekkie, so you're well into that, I think. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and, but this is the thing. So you go back and there was some burnout. So I'm just quite interested about it. So you started the, the, the newsletter. And when you mm-hmm. burnt out, it, I, I would imagine, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I'd imagine there was on the one hand a relief to have the space. I'm sure you, you, there was a good feeling from making the sale. But also when you've been so busy and had such a mission and you've got burnout, sometimes that can lead to a low afterwards. So, so two questions there. Did the burnout come afterwards with an accompanying low? And secondly, was your 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 gravit your your gravitation towards writing and to the creative side uh, and just a natural flow out of the state of where you found yourself having exited this amazing mm-hmm. business that you created and and I guess a hole there as well. Yeah. Oh, well, there, there was a hole. There was a vacuum right there. But let me let me start with with why I got into a burnout state. I was just so stressed. I was hyper anxious. Mm-hmm. I were I was completely overworked from just being the only technical person in a business. Mm-hmm. So my burnout wasn't really like it wasn't one of these where you don't find meaning in your work anymore kind of burnout and you burn out from the, the pointlessness of it all. It was really burnout from just being on 24 seven or 23 seven, that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, a lot, a lot of time, yeah. always having really high stress levels because something might happen and I always needed to be on to be able to respond as quickly as possible. It was, it was from that, that I found once we sold the business and transitioned it out, of course there was a hole, something was gone, right? They ripped yeah. the business away from us, something that we built with our hearts and a full lives for years. Mm-hmm. And now somebody else was operating it and we had mm-hmm. No, no, nothing to do and with it anymore. Must be so weird psychologically. It's, it's, it's really bizarre. It's bizarre in a way where, that you everybody tells you about it and you just still don't believe them until it happens to you. Because it's, of course, it's not a baby. It's not a person. Not a human being. It doesn't love you back. But it is a, an effort that you 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 made it grow. Like it, it, and I think the human psychology treats it as a child, as offspring, even though it's not. Because you do the same thing to a business like you, you give it all you love you you put in time extra effort you get up at night because it's yelling at you it's just the service being down it's it's not mm-hmm. a baby being hungry but for you it's the same thing you get up because you need to tend to the thing right so there is this kind of parent child dynamic and it's kind of like you were you would be giving up a six seven year old ch- child for adoption that's kind of how it yeah. felt like comp- obviously i i've never done this so uh, it is a purely illustrative example here no, but no, the no, idea no, but, but it's the, the loss, same right? isn't you, it yeah it is grief it is active grief at that point that you feel like you've lost something and you mm-hmm. wish you still had it and then you look at your your bank account and you say oh yeah that's why i don't have it anymore and then it's just kind of weird, <laughs> li- weird moment between you super elated that you're financially secure but all the the purpose and passion has just left your life yes. so you know that that's the vacuum and and I what a fascinating what a fascinating a, a super tense kind of balance there yeah it's it's weird and it's it's an interesting problem to have. You would call this probably one of the the best examples of a champagne problem, but it is real, right? It's yeah. it's it is it's just like when when rich people complain about taxes, there's probably a reason in there somewhere. Like I personally as a German, I just pay 50% tax on anything anyway, I don't care. <laughs> so I was so, I socialized, but you know, like when when people have champagne problems to them, mm-hmm. they are just as real as normal problems are to normal people, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. the reality of the how proximate the problem is to your heart and your mind, that's always the same. So that was. But that I was think existentially, thing. it's. Uh, I mean, not to qualify the problem because I'm. I totally understand what you're saying. There's this first mm-hmm. world problems and there's this. There's problems of hunger and food and mm-hmm. suffering and environment yeah. and all, 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 all of these things. I think in terms of our society, it, the, the 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 this existential 
problem that one has when one loses one's center of meaning, that's a very profound thing. And it doesn't matter how anyone else wants to call it or say it, you're going to have the experience, especially I think when you've been working exceptionally hard and Mm -hmm. you're consumed by something. And I also know that your customers loved you. So you know, you're putting a a, a, a proper value into the world. And then that's gone as well at that time. Yeah, that's right. That's the worst part. Like not being Mm. able to talk to these people anymore. As much (laughs) as I hate it, like I I still, I feel I have like intercom PTSD, like the little chat bubble that Uh goes up, the little sound that it makes. Mm. I, I sometimes when I hear this, I still feel like my, my heart rate go up because it reminds me of those days where I needed mm-hmm. to respond to this, where mm-hmm. I needed to drop everything I was doing and respond. And when they mm-hmm. come in in an avalanche, because there is like a server problem and hundreds of customers have the same problem and bim, 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 bim. Oh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's happening to me right now. So mm-hmm. th- that was not good. <laughs> that was not yeah. enjoyable. But the actual conversations that I had with people after I solved the problem, mm-hmm. that I mm-hmm. built um, emotional relationships with my customers and they with me because I gave them my time and they gave me theirs. It was, a, mm-hmm. there were actually connections made with these people these were mm-hmm. online english teachers just trying to make some money and they were mm-hmm. super happy and you could make their life a little bit easier and you could mm-hmm. feel how it empowered them sometimes mm-hmm. it empowered them in a way that they didn't even need the product anymore like we had people quit on us because they the, uh, using our product elevated them to a life where they could now find a better job and i was mm-hmm. like this is awesome you yeah. quit whatever you want this is great mm-hmm. i helped you find a better job this yeah. is the best thing i've ever done yeah. in my life so yeah. you, you have built these relationships with people and then you you sell it to somebody else and it's all gone. And mm-hmm. I, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I tried to figure out how to deal with not, not just the loss of an activity, but the loss of the p- passion and purpose in my life. Yeah. And the first thing that we did after we sold the business, obviously we needed to transition it over to the private equity company that we sold mm-hmm. it to, but that was easy. We had built a very sellable business, which uh, itself is, is, a, is a topic, but we just automated a lot. We documented a lot. I'm again, German. I love documentation. So that was easy for me. <laughs> and we, we, we handed over the business and we went on vacation and mm-hmm. we went to South Africa. We, we took this trip to uh, the, the Kruger National Park and Safari and all that. And I was sitting there in the in the savannah just looking at giraffes and lions and stuff. And I was like, hmm, what am I going to do in the future? <laughs> it was such uh, a was weird that when it hit too. you? Yeah, it was in those in this moment of ec- extreme serenity surrounded mm-hmm. by nothing but predators and prey that I was like, hmm, well, I, mm-hmm. I guess this is as basic as it gets. Mm-hmm. Now I can think about what I actually want to do with my life. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, well, I, I don't just want to sit on the beach and drink like uh, d- d- shots of something all the time. Like, d- you know, this this dream that entrepreneurs have that I can yeah. retire to a beach in, in my 30s. Nobody wants to spend like 50 years of their life on the beach just with right. drinks. Like that is super pointless. It's it's without purpose, without passion. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, what am I going to do? And I, I remembered that in my attempts to deal with my burnout, during those really, really heavy final days before we even thought about selling, like when stuff was so hard that I was kind of pushing Danielle to think about exiting the company because she would have just, she could have continued. She mm-hmm. was smart. <laughs> I was not, but <laughs> yeah. she, she was she was setting up systems that helped her to kind of detach from all the stuff. I could not do this. I didn't hire. For some reason, I didn't hire. But it, it's just, I, I was sitting there and was like, ah, this is stressing me out. What am I going to do? I started writing. I've never written anything before. I mean, I wrote, wrote some stuff in school, but German mm-hmm. school, right? It, just, it doesn't ha- didn't have anything to do with entrepreneurship or even writing in English or mm-hmm. anything like this. But I thought I need some kind of cathartic moment. So I just opened a document and I started writing about the problems that I had and how I would mm-hmm. solve them. Just really, as a software engineer, I you know, like you solve problems by writing stuff. I thought, well, maybe I can do it for my mind as well. 
So I started mm -hmm. writing about my problems that I had with scalability and with customer service automation. And I wrote this 10,000 word blog post just because I thought maybe I'm going to publish it. And it was really just me lamenting my problems and trying to come up with solutions and telling myself how hard it was to do this stuff, which turns out is not a good blog post to publish when you're willing to sell your company. Like you don't mm -hmm. want to tell people how hard it is to run this business when you're actively <laughs> looking for people to buy it. So it never got published, but Why? Okay. I still have it. And mm -hmm. I, 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 I went back to that blog post from my phone in, in the Savannah because for some reason, if you're in Kruger National Park in South Africa, your mobile phone coverage, your, your LTE data coverage is spectacular. <laughs> like I, I had never had better like cell phone reception than looking at a giraffe and, and a couple of like African wild dogs like hunting their prey. It was bizarre. But I guess there are no people around there or barely any. So reception from the tower that is somewhere like standing mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, they're like looking, looking in the, in the, in the background mm -hmm. somewhere. There's, there's not much, you know, there's vegetation, but you know, it, it, you, you got a good signal there. So I was looking at my blog post from the, from that car and I was like, Hmm, this was fun. And it, it had a positive effect on me. And if it has the positive effect on me as somebody who's actively suffering in the situation, if it mm -hmm. was cathartic and if, if it helped me just reflect on how I would solve my problem, well, maybe it's going to have a, a tiny version of this effect on other people. And that's where the idea of writing came out, like writing as, as an occupation. And then I, I said, well, what am I going to write about? Mm -hmm. uh, let's think about the things that I, that I witnessed and I made, started with the topic list. That's how that mm -hmm. whole topic list started. It was wow. just me, Notion document. This is what I did. Oh, I did customer mm -hmm. service. Yeah, oh, oh, coding too. And then I did like CTO stuff. That's interesting. And, you know, all the things that I did in the business turned out to be a list of 200 things. And I, I just thought, I'm going to make a blog out of this. And from that blog came the new startup podcast and whatever. So that's that's how that started. The writing came from me having written something in catharsis and then figuring out this might just as well be the thing I'm going to do in the future. That's It's very beautiful. And I, I love this idea that the noticing, not just of the the problems you had have and were having, but mm -hmm. also the noticing of the effect it was having on your spirit. Because obviously you're mm -hmm. right there at this point where your life has been so filled and there's so much meaning there and suddenly there's an emptiness there. And I, lo I just love this idea. It's that sort of Shakespearean idea that nature abhors a void, hates a void. And, yeah. but, but you have to allow something out, out of you for that refreshing yeah. to, 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 to happen. I mean, I, I kind of go through that in, in miniature often during the day because, you know, it's like a computer, your cache gets, you know, gets filled and you've got to reboot the damn thing. And yeah. I don't know, Arvid, I, I, what, what you think, but I, I look just a tangent here, but I, I mean, I look at the modern world and I, I think about the sort of, the, the sort of, you know, the anger and the madness and the hatred and the polarization, which is the sort of mm -hmm. other, you know, the other side of the world. And, Obviously, there's so many causes to this, but I also think that there's so much exhaustion out there that people mm -hmm. just aren't able to get this space inside themselves. And of course, often that's because people are having to work so damn hard and the rest of it. But mm -hmm. I just, I love this thing when you're, when you're just talking about it, that it's so poetic to me that you went out to the savannah, that you allowed there to be a space and that within that space, there was a noticing and a listening to your spirit. And then the ability to, to let it impact you and go, okay, this is happening for me. It could be for another. And then you followed mm. that. Mm hmm yeah, I, I think the the reason why I was even thinking about this was that I was already a part of this massively positive and empowering community. 
right? The indie hacker community of which uh, I, you, KP, we all kind of are part of this. Like people who want to do something by themselves independently, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they know they need each other to get there, right? They need to learn from each other and stuff. Uh-huh, and and uh-huh. that community was always there for me. And I finally realized in that moment how important that community had been in my past. Like how my consumption of all these podcasts and these blog posts mm-hmm. and just learning from other people, mm-hmm. how impactful that had been in my life. Mm-hmm. And how now in that moment, when I was just sitting there looking at that blog post, how I could be one of those people who helped me so much to even get to that point. Right? That, that's kind of, that, I, I reversed that in that moment and that then it was clear to me what I was going to do. Wow. So, so the realization was somehow sudden within that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like you, sometimes you don't know really um, just how much work goes into something. And you as a musician, uh-huh. you know what that is, right? Like mm-hmm, you listen mm-hmm. to a song and you think, oh, that's cool. But you mm-hmm. don't know the the 17 different demos that they tried, the versions right. before. Or the, you know, the the kind of the, the effects on the guitar that they tried through, like for 14 days yep. trying to find the exact right tone or, you know, the, the right plugins or whatever. Like all the, the work that goes into making something mm-hmm. good or mm-hmm. something useful you only ever get to see like the the creme de la creme, the final yep, product. Yep. So it, it was in that moment that I realized that to all of this knowledge that that found its way to me, there was a massive backstory of hardship, of overcoming challenges, of willingness to share, mm-hmm. willingness yep. to to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. All of that right. was part of this community. And and that kind of it felt like from my eyes in that moment that I it wasn't just me reading a book. It was me being the, the grateful participant in an ongoing conversation yeah. around people helping each other. So that, that's, that's when it clicked. Yeah. It's so for, for me, it's what you talk about this, this human need to show sort of perfection and the rounded product. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been so interesting because it's through this whole deconstruction of this fantasy as someone who comes from the arts and has been on labels or if I'm doing a documentary, it's kind of really mm-hmm. about showing a documentary rather than the, the process along the way. And yeah. so, I, so w- w- without getting to my story, but I've gone through this sort of whole breaking down of that whole antiquated old world way mm-hmm. of doing things. And that's, you know, actually you know, different things have led me there. There's a wonderful book called Share Your Work by Austin Cleon, which I really oh, love. Yeah which is a lovely little lovely little one of those returnable books and then finding different people which actually eventually led me to kp's the building public podcast it was kind of this whole trail of different stuff that went over over a couple of years and the thing that that i've found so wonderful about discovering uh building public is just this this as you said okay on a spiritual level it's this vulnerability and it's like my whole life I've been writing the songs and the 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 final thing's been coming out and it's like I never ever would have just put out like an iPhone recording and partly because I didn't grow up with the internet I didn't mm-hmm. grow I, I didn't grow Facebook came out when I was like 27 you know I'm a little mm-hmm. bit older than when social media came out and right. so you didn't show things ever in that type of way so I know that the younger generation there's there's been this much more sort of open approach and mm-hmm. knowing the process and I've learned so much from all you know all all of those people but that's also led me to the to hacking community and I I just love this mentality that I'm coming across of uh, transparency that all of you guys have mm. and and that's why I'm also trying to speak with people like yourself and bring back not just how you're doing it and the why 
of 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 what what you're doing, but just trying to bring back the flair and the fun and mm-hmm. the lightness of the yeah. artistic community because it's all so damn hard in the arts. You know, yeah, it's so heavy. Yeah, yeah, man. The art the arts are pretty. It's pretty harsh field. Like my, my Danielle, like I said, is she's a musician, right? She's an mm-hmm. opera singer. Um, she she was a teacher at that point because she she had an injury and she she couldn't sing, so she needed a job. And oh, in really? doing that job, we built the software tool to help other people like her yeah. that were doing that job. It was purely coincidental. Mm-hmm. Like she was wow. in Berlin where she met me to sing opera. She was there to perform. She, there was no idea ever for her to build a software business. That is kind of a a, a side note in in in, the, in her oh, in her career. I didn't know about so, the injury that yeah. led to leaving yeah. the opera oh god it's just uh, we life. worked to, to bargaining here in, in in canada and she she must have fallen weird to had a leg injury couldn't move for a couple months and that's where all yeah. of this started it was super mm. weird but that's the kind of you know just random events leading butterfly effect style to a really interesting outcome but her her whole life has been musical and she mm-hmm. is now a sound engineer she's uh she's actually graduating tomorrow from like sound engineering school it's, it's really really cool Incredible. and she's 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 gonna do like post-production work on an audio tv that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that's her world that's where she's in and the more i get exposed to the world of the arts of the, the professional arts at the monetized mm-hmm. arts right where people make money right. with artistic work it's like the, the system that you see in place, they feel like they're from the 1700s. It's bizarre, right, right, like how right. old-fashioned and traditional. Yeah. Like if, if you if I look into production, because that's also part of her education, like music production, how labels work and how recording studios work, and just how incredibly old-fashioned everything is. It's not surprising that it's hard for for the kids. Let's just call them that with this new mentality to suffer like, because they want to share more. They want to be yes. like be communal in, in their aspects, yep. but they can't because labels say, no, you can't do that. Actually, I, I have a, a little anecdote here from my, my own life. I'm writing my third book at this point, and it is about building in public. Mm-hmm. It's funny because Cleon's book, that one that you just mentioned, Show Your Work, that was one of the biggest inspirations for what I wanted to write. My I want to write a book about building in public that mm-hmm. is not just a small little thing that you can thumb through, but an mm-hmm. actual like a more experience driven, like with, with stories of people who like yourself are building in public, right? Mm-hmm. People that, mm-hmm. that, that did it, that are doing it, that are going to yep. do it and pull Wonderful. this all together into, it, it's really nice, but Very for cool. the first time. I'm looking forward to writing it. I'm already yeah. on the, in the process, but this time I'm going to a big publisher. Like the first two books I've self-published, mm-hmm. like Zero to mm-hmm. Soul, that's the first one that's about my journey with Feedback Panda and The Embedded Entrepreneur is the second one that's yeah. about like finding an audience and building a business from within. So they're both like entrepreneurial books. The third one, I wanted to, to learn something new and go the big publisher route. So I tried to find an agent. I'm, tr- I'm still in, in the process of like dealing with agents and dealing with publishers and dealing with book proposals and all these weird things that if you want to just write a book, you would never think of. You would never yeah. think of, who am I going to sell this to? Mm-hmm. How do I need to position this for them to buy it so mm-hmm. then I can write it after they bought it, but I still need to already lay out how exactly it's going to be. Yeah. Like for somebody like me who has this iterative process, like I mm-hmm. wrote my second book like almost completely in feedback with my audience. I had 500 beta readers on my my first draft and with all of these 500 people i turned the book into something that every single one of them wanted to read Mm -hmm. that's a process that in the regular traditional book publishing industry is unheard of and completely illegal like they just don't want that right yeah and to deal with this as somebody who has this open abundance mindset with people who are very constricted very secretive horrible and the arts just the same 
God, you've just you've just smashed it, and just to because it's so it's so you're so insightful with with how how you see it. Because I mean, two things. So one thing, it just what I mean, it illustrates how competitive and tough it is in the arts. I mean, look, you've had two very successful books. You're proven as a business leader and a bootstrapper. You've built up an audience of like 120,000 people just on mm. Twitter alone, and yeah, that's expanded crazy. through different diff- different things. And it's like. If I was a publisher, I'd be like, man, this this guy has got this incredible audience. They are absolutely devoted to it. This is a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. And you are in a process where, you know, I've no doubt that you'll get there, but it but it just absolutely blows my yeah, mind. And bizarre. it illustrates so much because you can imagine, right, you're a start-out writer and you're mm-hmm. at the beginning of that road and you're like, how the hell? What am I yeah. just, you know, because they all and they always say you've got to build your audience nowadays in order to be able to get the deal. And then you build mm-hmm. your audience and you still can't get the damn deal because it's still <laughs> yeah, so because it's still so so competitive. Yeah. And look, I'm I'm not even saying this in a spirit of complaint. It's an observation of yes. how challenging it is. And my interest is not to complain about the antiquated world or how it is. It's about to it's about exploring how us as artists, as creators can uh, exchange our mentality by fixating on this sort of treasure at the end of the rainbow that never rides and instead thinking, okay, how can we bring the spirit of revolution into our own spirits and lives and change ourselves and adapt to the world? And this is what's brought me to you guys because I'm like, holy hell, these guys, the hackers, these, you know, the people in the wild west and on the fringes mm-hmm. and just like putting this stuff out in the internet and then you see someone like lewis with audio pen and suddenly yeah. he's just putting it out with love and he's building and he's no coding and it goes out and i'm like okay this is these are people doing it in a different way how do yeah. i bring that back to this other world as well as hopefully some stuff from the arts to to yeah. the founders so I, I find that just like that's so interesting and the other thing i just just wanted to because because you really inspired me with some of your thoughts there the other thing is when you release an album so for instance i know so many artists who have been on major labels and have been on major independent labels and sometimes very well-known artists and then they they can talk you know there's this hype beforehand but it's never about releasing process beforehand it's kind of like you know kind of crappy you know all types of stuff that gets put out but yeah. it's not exciting like that's the process and what's that's going right. on and then the album's release and it tanks for one reason or another because you know nine out of ten or you know 19 out of 20 albums tank and then people get dropped so you, you, the process is not allowed in to the process yep. of release that's right and then that's everything exactly right. is down on release day and i was like yes. you know for, for me after because i was on emi which was where the radiohead and the beatles were on and that was like that mm-hmm. was the apex of my career and then universal like seven like three days after i released the album bought emi and so my mm. my album was literally released on a friday and then i was dropped on the monday and that was <laughs> <laughs> so you know so i mean you know i don't know why either they 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 they, they kept clapton but they dropped croft you know and, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so unfortunate. and you know no but you know but it was fine it's like you know i wouldn't change anything because all of the best things that have ever happened to me in my life of reinventing and redefining myself have happened since yeah. then but i was like okay i'm going to find different ways of doing it and i'm still mm. on that hunt and it just leads me to you and so it leads me to the question. So 
after you started writing. So you had an indie hacker sort of audience. Now, I just to ask you about the to quantify what was the kind of size of your audience at that stage? I mean, I mm-hmm. don't give a damn about metrics, but I'm just interested. It's like, had you already built up like a strong philo- uh, Twitter following at that stage, or you know, sure. where were you? at that point and then what happened after you started with the newsletter and the podcast and so on that's that's an interesting one because when i when i started on twitter uh i had a twitter account that i think i started back in 2009 and just Mm -hmm. used for you know twitter lurking around and commenting on random stuff following random people friends and family mostly when i when i started this whole journey i had like 400 followers on twitter it was 400 this is this is after you sold feedback panda 400 2019 yeah that's probably november november 15th or 19th 2019 is when i launched a blog and from then everything started i think i had 400 followers then so your community when you say okay there was a community there but you're talking about a really small little tight-knit community if if at all like that it was if just all, random yeah. people really I, I don't think i had too many followers from the the indie hacker field because i was just a consumer like i said mm-hmm. the realization that the community was so incredibly important came to me after i sold the business right so there, it yeah. was something that happened to me that in, in retrospect that i understood just how important the community was one of the benefits like mm-hmm. after we was it before or after we came back from the from the vacation? I don't really know. But we went to a conference in Croatia in this, the same couple months. Must have been around October or something. So there was the the MicroConf Europe. MicroConf is a software as a service mm-hmm. conference for small software businesses, small SaaS, micro SaaS, right? Mm-hmm. That's the idea. It's all around Rob Walling and the tiny seed uh, accelerator that the MicroConf has been around for many years. Mm-hmm. I went to the recent one here in in, uh, in Denver a couple months ago. I was on stage talking about mental health for founders. So that kind of brings us brings us all together. Wow. That was fun. But back then I, I had no connections in the industry other than a couple people, maybe hopefully. And obviously knowing everybody from the podcast that they were on, right? Like all of those big people that uh, were teaching me through their podcast presentation were at that conference and Danielle and I had the great great fortune of giving a little 10 minute attendee talk at this conference because we had just sold our business our acquirer was a co-sponsor of that conference so they, they were just sponsoring that conference uh, every now and then and so their CEO was there and it was the guy who bought our business and he kind of said you should really give a little talk why not like five minutes each of you just talk about like how you great. made this business so it was sellable great and yeah. Rob Walling the organizer of the conference he, he led us on stage and Danielle and I were there if you go to my to my blog the bootstrap founder you'll find that in the about about section it's one of the only videos I link on the page it's just that 10 minute talk from microconf Europe 2019 and we talked about selling the business and this immediately gave me some credibility in front of a room of one of the most important software as a service founders in the community like mm-hmm. these people in there, there was like a couple hundred of them. All of them had software as a service businesses. Mm-hmm, so all of them mm-hmm. knew what the struggle was. All of them had mm-hmm. the same dream, sell the company eventually. So I made hundreds of new friends in just five minutes that I spent on stage talking while mm-hmm. Danielle spent the other five minutes talking. So we both made 10 minutes of worth of friends. But, you know, the idea was I put myself on the map. And after that, like my, my Twitter following, I kind of jumpstarted this by having some kind of credibility thing that I could talk about, some kind of success that I could kind of latch on and say, hey, I'm the guy that, right? That's that's how I introduced myself in the beginning. Yep. And that also gave the blog some kind of initial credibility because everybody can write about bootstrapping, but not everybody has successfully bootstrapped and then talked about it. 
So mm-hmm. that really helped. So what, what I'm saying is I had some initial credibility from the sale that um, helped me bootstrap the audience in, in a way, right? That helped me build this audience over time. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, 400 people, that's all I had. And so that's very interesting. So that's a very interesting thing. It's about the sort of the pathway to authority as being one aspect. Let, let's come back to that. I think that, that some just an observation, though, that's a really interesting insight about, because obviously you had built up your authority authority i don't like the word but your you, your presence because you'd you were proven you'd done something mm. you know wonderful you you toughed it out it's a damn hard environment but you found the idea and you run with it the thing that i find interesting is that at that point and you've left and you go to the savannah and you're in that space what am i going to do next and you have the realization that you love to solve problems and you like to you know to notice and then to teach but also you've got a small audience okay i'm sure it's lovely that you uh, you, you allocate uh, a significant moment to being on that stage but mm-hmm. one stage doesn't change anything it might help uh, mm. you know it, 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 it's a it's, things can be a catalyst but what i find interesting from an artistic perspective is that you went into a committed creative process bound with systems which you obviously developed along the way but that you 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 committed to like both serving and creating an audience and recognizing the power in that. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, cause I just want to point out it's 2023 and you've got 120,000 Twitter followers. I mean, it's an enormous growth through the commitment to that system. And the mm-hmm. reason why I'm highlighting it isn't for you, it's for the audience because you're out there and I resisted, like I was always like, I'm gonna be an artist, I'm gonna do my stuff, I'm gonna put it out. Value is enough, the love of doing it is enough. But rather similarly to to you with Feedback Panda, I Mm -hmm. knew that I had people that are interested in the work, but I hadn't committed to the audience building in itself. So my sort of big revolution is going, okay, if I wanna carry on an artist, I'm not making enough. I mean, I've got my client work for my film work, but I want to do the solopreneur journey and I want to, you know, do all the stuff that I love doing. How the hell am I going to make all of this pay? And okay, (laughs) what's the method to making it pay? And the thing is, is what, you know, I'm learning is that people take the audience building seriously. And of course, I understand that that's built firstly on the value of the people and the rest of it. But Mm -hmm. there's also not but and there's also a recognition, like you said at the start, that it's give and get. There's a process, there's a flywheel between that. And so for me, the sort of, uh, you know, the the, the reason I'm going into this um, of it is because artists have this resistance to social media. They know they should be on it. They know that it would help. They know that the world's changed, but they just they just feel cheapened by it. For, for mm-hmm. you know, for right or wrong, it's like there's just something analog about the arts on you know in some type of way. And I was like that for years and years and years. And so I've been breaking down that which I was to try and just do things differently. And I feel things moving differently. And I feel my own spirit lightning lighting as I do this. But I just find it very interesting that to connect the fact that even though you've been so successful, you had hardly uh, an audience. Yeah, and it was yeah. and it was the commitment as you've become a creative to that audience and serving them. And I'd like to just ask you about how you service mm-hmm. the community. But you've really shown that it can be done with consistency and the, the valuing and the sharing. And I, I find that just really inspiring. 
Well, that's great. And, and let me just throw one thing in Please, here. I yeah. have super low expectations. Maybe that helps. Because mm -hmm. like one of the things that, that uh, usually tends to keep me from doing the things that I want is having high expectations and then the, the threat of not meeting them. With this blog and the podcast and all these things, I was just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't need this to be super successful. And I guess the benefit of having sold a business is not needing things to be immediately successful. Mm -hmm. I know that this is likely not a relatable experience to most people mm -hmm. to just have a thing. But as you said, you have client work on the side. You, you have the means to sustain your life. So mm -hmm. being an artist doesn't need to pay immediately. And that yeah. I think that is one of the biggest things in this case. You don't need to push yourself to make money because if you need short-term gains, you sabotage your long-term potential. That's really what that is, right? If you try to sell something today, you're going to sell it at a price that, you know, it's just a kind of a, a discount or whatever over mm -hmm. what you could get from a long-term ongoing purchasing relationship with a person, which is mm -hmm. why most people in software want to build these software as a service things because you could charge monthly and the customer just pays every single month like netflix right to retain mm -hmm. access to the service that yep. is so much more interesting as a monetization model than paying once having somebody pay once and then hoping that they pay at some other point again mm -hmm. like having this built in the subscription model is why, why people are so interested in, in SaaS. but apart from that like not needing money immediately allowed me to just explore what I wanted to do with it and having uh, doing side projects. That's the whole point behind side projects, either being a business or becoming an artist or mm -hmm. organizing social change or whatever, doing this, not as your main thing, but doing it on the side allows you to put the focus on it that you need for it to progress without having the threat of it destroying your life if it doesn't work out. Right, so just just one word about side projects, and it's funny that you said this that you you're doing video work on the side. So that Star Trek podcast that I talked about uh -huh. earlier, right, uh, the Greatest Generation, the show that, that self proclaimed is hosted by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. That is the, <laughs> the subtitle of the podcast. These two dudes also. Or I've been listening from episode one to what is now episode 600 or something. It's highly Man. popular and has been super consistent. When they started out, they were both video professionals, videographers, mm -hmm. working in LA and and um, I, I don't know where else, I forget, doing the Star Trek podcast on the side, just mm -hmm. as a passion project. They had mm -hmm. no high expectations, whatever. They just wanted to have some, a way for them themselves to just chat over, over Star Trek. Like they they rewatched the old Star Trek Next Generation from the 90s and they, every, every episode, they just like talked about it together. They, they didn't want story. to build a business out of it. Yeah. They didn't want yeah. to like turn this into a full-time thing. They yeah. just wanted to chat and do something for themselves that yes. maybe somebody else could relate to. Now they are having hundreds of thousands of listeners per episode because Incredible. they resonate so strongly with all these other nerds, just like myself, who grew up on Star Trek <laughs> The Next Generation in the 90s, Star Trek Deep Space Nine a couple of yeah. years later, and Voyager a couple of years after that, right? That is what the, the Star Trek progression mm -hmm. is for, for kids my age. Yeah. And we find <laughs> in those two guys who are still hosting that podcast and an offshoot podcast talking about the new Star Trek that is out now, so much joy in being able to relate. And I've listened mm -hmm. to this every day with my pop, mm -hmm. right? For the last couple years at this point. Oh boy. Lovely. And I've, I've listened to them like noticing just how popular the thing is and changing their lives around it. Like yeah. they started doing video work on the, as main and doing Star Trek on the side. Now Star Trek podcast is their whole thing. Amazing. They got into it yeah. by not wanting to build a popular Star Trek podcast. <laughs> that's how the popular Star Trek podcast happened, yeah. right? That's, that, that's the, the expectation setting is so important. Mm -hmm. Just don't 
expect it to work immediately or yeah. at all and be open to changing both your life or the thing you do yeah. to see where it goes. It's a yeah. much more flexible process. Uh, it's just, it's very inspiring. Thank you for that anecdote with the, with the, with the, 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 the trackies. That's because it, yes. I think with the artists, like the message that I'm trying to put out to artists is to note is to, to organize oneself and, in, in sort of spiritually so that you've got the the art and the artwork and that's sacrosanct mm -hmm. and that's okay you can allow that to be sacrosanct but then a part of your responsibility if you like as an artist is to not just expect the world to get it you have to take the responsibility for the messaging no yes. one else is going to do it stop wanting the record exec or the gallery person to do it take responsibility for the communication for the messaging you are the vehicle and not only are you the vehicle but that is the work it's not That's just right. it's that not is just exactly right Mm -hmm. Yes, like the distribution of your work is an extremely relevant mm -hmm. part of the work. That's the mm -hmm. thing. That's the difference between the publishers who just take your glorious production and mm -hmm. then they put it, they press it on vinyl and they decorate it nicely. Yeah. No, you do this. This is part of your thing. And, and then that's, that's, yeah, go ahead. I'm so sorry. But, and then the third thing being, because no, I want to ask you about it, because I see you as the master yeah. of this, is that within the sharing, within the messaging, within the communication, mm -hmm. there's a third thing, which is the arrival and the audience and the expanding of the audience, yes. but, but taking care of them one by one. And the thing that I love about, about you, Arvid, and, and, and is, is that you just, your love of the community and of of sharing and helping is such a part of your motivation and mm -hmm. it just kind of sings out. And I noticed that as well in KP and that's something that's so inspired, inspired by you. And I, I know that there's a feedback loop, but I just, mm -hmm. I know that, I know we've only got a li limited amount of time, but I just, I'd love to get your thoughts on community audience, how you look after them, how you nurture the community, both as individuals and with the ideas, but also in building it as an aspect of your work. Oh man. So one one thing that is that is, is, is so much here. Yeah. One thing that is really core to my my understanding of who I am is that mm -hmm. I am standing on the shoulders of massive giants in mm -hmm. anything that I do. Right? Like any business success that I had, I didn't come up with that. I didn't I didn't come up with the programming language that I used. I didn't come up with the idea of building a software business to solve people's problems. I didn't come up with the actual business that the customers that we had had that we helped them with. Didn't come mm -hmm. up with that. Mm -hmm. Didn't come up with the idea of, you know, Feedback Panel. That was Danielle's idea. I was just there at the mm -hmm. right time to code it. Didn't come up with writing books. Didn't come up with being a podcaster. None <laughs> of these things are my idea. And all of these things were done probably much better than I'm doing them right now by people who taught me how to do it. So all of these giants that exist everywhere, like Rob Walling is one of them. He allowed me on the floor of the conference and then and, and now a couple of weeks ago, like we were just hanging out and talking. I was on his podcast just recently, like re reminiscing about the, the the conference. And like he he told me that he he read my books and is inspired by them. I read his mm -hmm. and I'm inspired mm -hmm. by his. Like mm -hmm. that's that's the other part. Like all, these are all giants, but I kind of I, I have I, I take umbrage with the idea of audience conceptually because mm -hmm. I talk about 
it all the time. But the idea of being on a stage like above the audience and like talking down to them and pleasing them with my serenade of song, it feels like an antiquated way of talking to people. I don't want this. I want to stand amongst them and everybody is dancing, doing their own thing, but we all have a good time. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. I want to be Mm -hmm. part of the audience. I want to be part, I want to be a peer to those people around me. I want to be a peer to Rob Walling, the, the great software entrepreneur who with his podcast is now at episode 670, something who's been around for a decade plus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I want to be at the same party talking with the same amount of energy and fervor to the guy who just started their business yesterday. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. want to be a part of everybody's lives. I don't just want to, look, that's what you said earlier. <laughs> yeah. I just want to look up. I want to look all around me because that's where yep. the, the party is. Right? That's yep. really what it is. Like if you're at a party and you just look to, at, up to the ceiling or the stage, you're going to mm-hmm. miss all the fun around you. Mm-hmm. And I don't, mm-hmm. want, I don't want that, which mm-hmm. is why I focus my time not on only interacting with big accounts. I focus my time on interacting with cool people. Yeah. And it turns yeah. out yeah. that cool people come in all different shapes and sizes and uh, different parts of the journey that they're at. Some are it, successful. Some are just on the verge of starting. doesn't matter. They're all cool. They're mm-hmm. all interesting. And over time, it's also what I said in the beginning with the selfish selflessness. I don't know if the person that I'm talking to today, five years from now is going to be a millionaire and just invite me to their yacht yeah. uh, because they mm-hmm. had this big, big exit to Google or something. So why would I risk not having this cool time with this cool yeah. person and just talk to somebody established? Like that's, that's how I see community. Community is something that is a peer group, not just a hierarchy of people. Mm-hmm. I find it such a beautiful visualization that of the breaking down in of the walls and not even looking at it as an audience Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's just so it's not only for that just being beautiful as a sort of more of an osmosis exchange rather than a leader speaking to people but also it's like whether you're a founder whether you're starting out trying to build a business taking a risk and you've left your job or you're on the on the cusp of it and you're like i'm gonna give this a damn crack or you're an Mm -hmm. artist but the other thing you have to deal with is is tremendous loneliness and if you're building down that wall psychologically with the people that you're dealing with you are you are inviting the world in, you know, into your heart. And, and yes. I, I think that's really in, inspiring. And yeah, I, I just, there's so much here. Look, I, I just wanted to, cause I know, I know we, we've got limited time. So I just wanted to ask you a, lo- a last question if that's okay, Arvid. Sure. Of course. Ab- about, about, just about your podcasting. So a lot of people see, have been interested on with, the, you've got this insane consistency. And one of the things, so you do it every single week. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I find really interesting is that you're not just doing the interviews, which I think are every two weeks generally. No, no, every week too. Oh, but I interview every week. Oh, so, so, sorry. I I have two podcast episodes a week. Yes, two. Oh, man. Okay, because I really enjoy your your teaching and I'm really inspired. I've been thinking about that as well, about the the teaching or that you're, you know, going into an idea and you're breaking down Mm -hmm. and they're a bit shorter. So you're actually doing those. So what day do you release that and the the interviews? (laughs) So my interviews go out on Wednesdays. I tend to edit edit them over the weekend or on Fridays because it's really like I I record them through Riverside or something. I get both audio and, and video video feeds. I just yep. put them into DaVinci Resolve. I edit it yep. myself because I enjoy it. And it's part of my idea finding process, sometimes being part of a prior conversation that I 
um, participating in or had participated in gives me new ideas on what to write about. So I do all the editing by myself. Yeah, because you kind of riff off ideas that come out of the podcast. That's such a great process. And and that makes it much easier to come up with cool stuff that is relevant because when I talk to other people, their new ideas that I've never thought about before tend to be something that I probably have a perspective on that my audience finds interesting. So Mm -hmm. I I take these things and I I put them into my big list. Like whenever I, I go through a podcast and whenever I edit it, I kind of revisit them. So those go out on Wednesdays because I also have people who help me with like transcription and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I have a thumbnail designer that helps me with the mm-hmm. thumbnail because I'm yeah. not a good visual designer, but most of the, the editing and obviously the, the interview conducting, that's all me. And then the topic of that Friday episode where I do my 10 to 20 minute solo thing is usually dictated either by the interview or by anything happening in the community mm-hmm. at this point. So mm-hmm. I have two episodes. One is short, one is rather long, an hour, 10 minutes, both, both of them. That's that's my routine. And it, the, the thing I was talking about, the writing in the week that it happens on a Monday, that is usually for the Friday episode because the interview is a conversation, right? And a conversation yeah. you don't need to write for. I do research. I do that whenever I feel like it on people that I interview, uh-huh. but it tends to be more conversational just like this, although you've done ample preparation as well. But, you know, it's it's never like a question, answer, question, answer thing. But I find it's so, and did you with you, you're so, well, it's lovely how relaxed you are when you come on the podcast. You're obviously so experienced and, you know, you've got to that level of expertise with it. Did you, were you tentative to start with? Would you get nervous before your podcast if you're interviewing someone bigger in the space? How was the psychological development there? That was so hard. Like I, I think I had 170 or 180 episodes of solo before I ever started interviewing people. Did you? Like that's. Yeah, it's, it's it was one of those things that I was so scared of because really? not only, you know, like we, we talked about burnout and being stressed and me keeping my calendar empty. That is on purpose because I did not ever want to get into the situation where I had a deadline or any kind of pressure on my life again. Mm-hmm. Right? That was a, a compensatory uh, reaction to a being overwhelmed with work was I don't want to have to do anything ever again, hence mm-hmm. empty calendar. <laughs> so when I then introduced... Uh, recording dates with people where I would have to show up just like now at a certain point and talk, not only talk about the things that I know, but try to navigate a conversation. And you definitely know what, what that feels like, right? Uh It's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's probably the most draining work you can have as a person is to keep a conversation going for an Mm -hmm. hour and make it entertaining. Mm -hmm. Like I, I know what that that feels like, which is why it's so nice to see what a natural you are or what a natural you appear to be. (laughs) But you know, there's, there's lots of work going into that too. Mm -hmm. And it's, being com- comf- both comfortable and confident in in your ability to lead a conversation. So that was was a lot of pressure in the beginning, particularly yeah. as I'm not a native speaker. So I need to have my my translation mode on because sometimes words are lacking and I need to translate them from German into English as well. Yeah. During a conversation, while something <laughs> is flowing in, it is, it is a lot of pressure, right? It's, it's so much more work than writing a thing and uh-huh. putting it onto a teleprompter and, and narrating mm. it into a yeah. camera. I can do this like eyes closed. Shouldn't because I still need to read my script, but you know, it's very, very easy to do compared to an interview with mm-hmm. with like people who I admire. Like every single yeah. person that comes on my podcast is somebody who I have a prior relationship with. Like I, mm-hmm. I never have random people on. It's always either somebody introduced me to them, we chat and then we have this conversation mm-hmm. or I've been following them for like a decade and then and one now I get to talk to them. Yeah, that's it's, it's, it's <laughs> such a high pressure moment. So, yeah. you know, that's, that was, that was hard to overcome, but I decided... 
mostly because I was lonely. You were, you were, you were kind of talking about mm-hmm. this. So I, I said that Danielle was spending most of the, the last year in school for, for audio engineering. And that school is not in our little tiny town that we live in. It's 40 minutes away. So mm-hmm. she was spending most of her days there. And even if she was here, she was working on projects because it was a really tough program for yeah. her. So I was alone. I had the puppy, but the puppy can't talk to me, right? So yeah. <laughs> I can only cuddle, which I do yeah. a lot with her. But I, I felt, I, felt I, I want to live a life that is not just me sitting in front of my computer, not talking to people. I want to live a life that is me sitting in front of my computer, talking to people. <laughs> that was the idea. So yeah. I, I just, I just kind of rang up my, the, the other founders that I knew the, that, that I always chatted on Twitter with anyway. And I said, mm-hmm. Hey, do you have an hour? Do you want to talk about this topic? And they all said, sure. That's awesome. Lovely. So I, I got a camera, I got a setup, you know, I built my little studio in the yeah. basement, which is now being redone, renovated. And, that's kind of how it started. It was just like me not wanting to be alone every single day of the week, having conversations with cool people. And then I had those conversations and here we are. What a pathway. And, and so like, j- j- just one f- follow up question, like if <laughs> like with your research, especially early on, like, would mm-hmm. you overcompensate with, with research? Like, did you have trust in your ability? Cause I talked with KP about it and KP's, you know what he, you know, he's such a sort of natural spirit and he's like, Oh, you know, mm. Jim, it's just, it's just jazz. It's a great conversation. All the best <laughs> ones I have, mom, prepare for. And I'm like, bloody hell, you know? So yeah, with, yeah. with you, how was it for you with the research side and how much you'd look into someone's life you know at the start when you're with mm-hmm. someone who's bigger in the space and you're, and you're a bit nervous let's say oh boy and particularly <laughs> for for the the real real big people like that that were running like million dollar businesses i was talking to patrick campbell is the best example like he recently sold his um, his business for 200 million dollars and i talked to him like after that acquisition about mental health in in acquisition and stuff like 200 million dollars like a nine mm-hmm. figure exit mm-hmm. talk to a, a, a a person like this, it was crazy. But I, yeah. <laughs> I, what I, what I figured out is, I, I don't need to do like a deep dive into people that I already have a prior relationship with because I understand what they are about. I kind of, I know what they've been tweeting about in the past. And with Patrick, it was always about pricing, so we talked a lot about that, and we talked a lot about the the, the exit that he also publicly shared. So I, I gravitate towards people that already kind of give me a lot of stuff in our regular day to day that I can then remember. And I guess more from a technical perspective, best investment I ever made as a podcast interviewer was a teleprompter. A teleprompter with an iPad underneath and Notion as my my document. Like if, if I were to, <laughs> right now I could pull up Notion and still look you in the eye while I scroll through my notes. Oh, and that clever. Made, and I could even I could even go to a website and look up certain things as I nod and and look you in the in the eyes. That is that one of like if you if you if you do a lot of Zoom meetings yeah. for whatever reason for your job or if you do interviews, anything with a camera. If you want to increase your level of just being comfortable in being in the moment, get a prompter, put a, a screen underneath mm-hmm. and just have your your notes or whatever right there on screen so you, you never have to break eye contact. That's a, that, that's a fantastic tip. Thank you. Because half the time I'm here and you can see, look yeah. so far, Arvin, I got all of these everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so my very final question is, it's just about digital. Or, <laughs> it's just about, it's just about digital products because you started yes. out and you went out and you, 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 you got busy with writing and you got busy with helping people and busy with building in public and people mm-hmm. were listening and interested and your energy comes across. But also that doesn't pay, you know, at least until the audience gets very big in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So you had a pathway towards writing books and creating a Twitter Twitter course and you 
so I just wanted to, because for I, I'm trying to find different ways. I'm trying to go as a solopreneur, trying to break down the traditional way of like you know re- relying on CDs or vinyls as a musician, all the rest of it. And I'm and and I'm really kind of inspired how in the business community the using digital products and giving great value. And I just wanted to ask uh, just about what your pathway there is because I think this I think a lot of artists and creatives are underestimating the power of the information that they've accrued through their lives and their expertise yeah. and how they can utilize it and the fact that there might be an audience out there for them so just a few yes. comments on that if you were to say to me sure. uh, and as a struggling artist look here is why i think this would be a, a potential interesting pathway or whatever it is that you do think about it yeah. here's the thing like with my books in particular the first book i didn't even intend to write i just had a a, a, a blog and people told me they really like my blog posts. I was like, cool. And then I kept writing blog posts and they were all like they're all different topics, right? And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna get get to the what what you can do as a as an artist in a second. But they were all so many different topics that at some point I decided, well, th- there needs to be like a space that pulls them all together. So I created a little compendium, a little guide, right? Where I would say, here's how you start your journey, here's the article for that particular topic. Here's if if you think about technical stuff, here's here are the five articles to that topic. And if you ever get to sell your business, here is my knowledge on that, that link mm-hmm. to that article. And I kind of filled it up and it was a compendium, which means like little paragraphs for each topic. And where I had a, an already an existing blog post, I would just link the post. And where I didn't, I would just write out the paragraph with my basic thoughts about the topic. Mm-hmm. And people really liked that. And I called this first initial guide, Zero to Salt. That was its name. And then people said, well, if this ever becomes a book, I would totally buy it. I would buy the book right now if it existed. And I was like, hmm well, that's kind of cool. Maybe if somebody tells me they're going to buy my book, I should write the book. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. one of those those people that, that told me that was Andrew Gazdecki. He's the, the, the founder of uh, Acquire.com, which is a, an acquisition platform for software businesses. So he had a lot of success in the past building SaaS businesses. And he saw in me somebody who had something to share. And mm-hmm. he told me, hey, I want to read this book. I'm interested in your perspective. Mm-hmm. And I still I still have this tweet somewhere in my bookmarks because it's it was such a such a moment of, okay, if, hey, if this guy thinks I should write then i should really write the book not just mm-hmm. the blog post but the book and i had half the book done already because right. the blog was were there so i kind of pulled it all together turned turned this into a self-published book had an editor look into it a proofreader and somebody designed the cover somebody that was actually danielle and i but you know <laughs> it was very professionally designed and then um i published it and, and people loved it because it was built in the community already half of it was written in public so the other mm-hmm. parts i just spent the month writing mm-hmm. and pulled it all together had alpha readers had people help me out and that's where the book happened that's why mm-hmm. the monetization happened it happened mm-hmm. because people saw something in my work that they wanted more of mm-hmm. and i just mm-hmm. kept pulling the thread right and i i did it in a way that wasn't just behind the scenes i just shared with them whatever i did i i said i'm gonna list this on amazon anybody got any ideas how to do that got a couple links okay here's how i listed my book on amazon screenshots here screenshots there here's the first day of sales looks like this and here's what i'm trying to do now here's I, I'm, I'm gonna do an audiobook i'm gonna hire somebody to do this here's where i'm going you know i, I shared every single step oh, along that's the so way. cool i love it yeah it, it, was, it was super enjoyable did the same thing with the second book because I, people told me in response to the first book hey i love your book this is the part where i would like to know more 
And I yeah. got a massive amount of people who kind of, or a number of people who told me, this is the part, this exact part is where I need to know more. And that was around audience building. That was around like finding the right people to serve, right? Which is why the embedded entrepreneur is so focused on audience building and building from within communities, mm -hmm. because that was the thing in my first book that most people wanted more of. I just wow. follow the, the feedback from yeah. the community. And that has helped me tremendously because that led to my Twitter course, which I started at, I think, 48,000 followers. And I finished at 60-some thousand followers. And mm -hmm. now it's it's twice that. Like, it, If there's anything to prove that the, the stuff works that I, I talk about, it's the amount of people that I gained while I was recording it right? yeah, yeah. as a following. But it's, yeah, that's kind of how it happens. It happens through community immersion. Yeah, and it's just so incredible how then you've got this feedback loop between giving mm -hmm. value and people being fascinated in the process and then the process leading to you to creating things and then creating things and then that actually leading to revenue and it becoming yeah. this lovely cycle so there we are absolutely what 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 a wonderful cycle and sort of concept to to end with i'm just i'm so very very thankful for all of the insight. I feel like I've got so much to think about from, from this podcast. And I know everyone that hears it will feel the same. Thank you so oh, thank much, you. Arvid. Oh, that, it, was, it was really nice chatting with you. I, I was so excited for this because your, your, your enthusiasm is so palpable, both on, in the work that you do on Twitter and in our conversation right now. I think uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for having this opportunity to finally talk thank about you, stuff man. in a more artistic and, you know, like human level it's not just business stuff it's not yeah. just numbers it's well a bit more about the per people behind it yeah well i think there's uh, and i love what you said about sort of love languages and the way you express it and i think there's also an audience out there for you because one of the things mm -hmm. i'm trying to do is to bring the work of people like yourself back to the arts so if there's Thank um you. you know i wonder if there's a little idea in there for you I but, do, maybe <laughs> before we go <laughs> would there be if there was to be just to sum up a message two people out there someone's out there struggling or just starting something or just about to leap what would Arvid Carl say to them just as a little package message for goodbye well the many many things we struggle with come from our own inflated expectations and overcoming our imposter syndrome and our like fear of failure it's probably one of the, the, mo the most important steps that we can take as a creator stuff will not work out sometimes sometimes it will work out it doesn't all have to be hits i think that's that's an important part like mm -hmm. not everything you do needs to be perfect but everything you do needs to just make you a little bit better like mm -hmm. when i started writing my first articles you can find them on my blog they're pretty horrible but they were good enough at that point to tell people who were really in, in need of something that it helped them a little bit and that's all you can do like that's that's really if you inflate your expectations you're gonna suffer but if you just want to help one person a day a tiny little bit all you need do this for 365 days and you've helped over 300 people and do this over time these people will never forget three years you've helped a thousand people mm -hmm. and if you follow kevin kelly's advice to to get a, a thousand true fans which is an article that i highly recommend the idea is you don't need to find millions of people who listen to your to music or, or you look at your work you just need to find a really really strong core group of believers and help them with the thing that they want and they will help you with the thing that you want so community is everything manage your expectations by just not, not inflating them and trust in the process of consistent work that just improves a little bit every single day. What a beautiful message. Thank you, Arvid. Thank you. Wir sehen uns.
Wir sehen uns. Ciao. <lacht> Ciao. Bye-bye.